You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. The following presentation was given at the IISE conference in Seattle last month in May 2022. Um, This is a summary of a Lean and Green project that I helped work on with the Department of Ecology and Impact Washington. And we worked on a project at Romac Industries. So the first speaker you'll hear from is Joshua Fowler, who is the environment safety and health engineer. As part of that project, we dug into the problem and then also pulled in a consultant, Michael Johnson, who you'll hear speak second. He helped Romac with their uh, implementation of a a project to reduce the wastewater that was going out through their passivation process for cleaning their parts. So I think this was a really exciting project. We got some good results from that. Um, I thought it was really good collaboration between, you know, kind of learning some of the lean methods and tools, also bringing in a consultant who has expertise on that process and utilizing the resources of Department of Ecology and Impact Washington. So. We're going to be running this project again later this fall, and we'll have a few more companies and organizations involved. So if you're in the state of Washington, please reach out and I can give you some more information. There's also a video available of this presentation so you can see the slides and the visuals. So I recommend you check that out. You can find a link in the show notes here, which is uh, just available through YouTube, or you can search for Lean and Green Wastewater Reduction Project. I think that will come up. Okay, hope you enjoy. Thanks. So first and foremost, apologies. I'm not like a huge public speaker, so this is probably not going to be very formal. I'm just going to talk to you like your regular group of people, which you are, but you get my <laughs> All right, so uh, my name is Joshua Fowler. I'm the environmental engineer for Remac Industries. I've been with the company for about three years. Uh, and uh, this is kind of an offshoot of a grant program that we were working with, with the Department of Ecology, which uh, got me involved with Brian and then eventually involved with Michael. Uh, and so this is kind of the a waste minimization project that we've been working on that's um, had some offshoots with some other production benefits and stuff. And then uh, there's my name, but then those two names next to mine, Frank and Kim Howard, those are our two maintenance guys. Between them, we probably have about 35 years of passivation experience going on there. So they're, uh, just want to mention them because they're a very uh, key component of this, uh, this project. All right. Uh, so, what is passivation? I guess first I'm going to start with why Romac passivates. So, um, we passivate because we need corrosion resistance out in the field for our products to withstand the elements. And uh, basically what happens is the oxide layer of our stainless steel components is damaged during the fabrication process uh, from welding, grinding, cutting, those sorts of things. And uh, what that does is it reduces the component's resistance to the corrosion. So through passivation, we can remove contaminants that affect that corrosion resistance, i.e. cause rust, that sort of thing, uh, and leave behind other elements of the alloy uh, for stainless steel that's gonna be mostly chromium and nickel. And then when those are exposed to air, it restores restores that oxide layer on the stainless steel components and helps uh, get that corrosion resistance back in there so those uh, components last in the field. So what we have pictured here is the view of our passivation process before we uh, begin the project. So uh, this is actually a mirrored image of the room itself. So we have this exact same setup on on both sides of the room. 
So we have uh, two production acid tanks and then a static rinse tank and then a, uh, a table where we also have a pressure washer hooked up for our operators to rinse off everything as it uh, comes through the process. So what happens is a component will come in, it'll start and end up in one of these two uh, production tanks and then it'll passivate for about 15 minutes on average depending on the component and then once it uh, passivates it'll be lifted up brought into the static rinse tank and submerged in there for uh, a few minutes brought back up and then brought to the pressure washer table where it's then sprayed off and then once that's completed it's out the door for the rest of the production process uh, a little bit more about the production tanks so each one of the production tanks is uh, basically a hydrofluoric bath, which we uh, make with a combination of nitric acid, ammonium bifluoride, and water. Uh, each one of the tanks is heated to help with the uh, reaction process. The uh, rinse tank is just uh, normal like city water. And then the pressure washer is also funded uh, or also uh, supplied by the city water. And what would previously happen is essentially, since the two production tanks are heated, they have evaporation and so we would refill the evaporation what's come out from evaporation with city water which eventually would dilute the tanks bad enough to where the batch times would be unacceptable for production levels which would result in us having uh, an acid spike every about six to eight weeks and what that would be comprised of is we would pump both of these tanks out and send them off as hazardous waste we pump this tank out and set, set it out as non-hazardous waste and then we would take a whole new set of uh, ammonium bifluoride nitric acid and we would re-spike the tanks. Uh, at the time we were using 67, 67% concentration nitric acid, so it was a very dangerous process. We had to stop production. Um, it was not a, a fun thing to do. The production guys that I mentioned earlier are in full level B hazmat suits with SCBAs. Uh, it's not something that uh, was very desirable for us to do. It's like my house. I don't know what's <laughs> Just over the garage. Yeah. So, and then now this is a, a kind of the 2.0 version that we currently have uh, within within the building. It looks very much the same, but there's some uh, key things here that we've changed up big time. Um, probably first and foremost is with the help of Michael, we realized that our static rinse tank was almost probably closer to being a third acid tank than it was a static rinse tank. So what we started doing was using the static rinse water to make up the evaporation. From the, uh, from the production tanks, which significantly reduced our hazardous waste, helped with bath variation. Uh, I'll let Michael explain a little bit more about this six gallons that we're taking out per the tanks in his portion of the, the discussion. But uh, now that we're doing that, uh, the recirculation, making up that evaporation, uh, it removes the need for those large change outs and it's also allowed us to go from 67% nitric acid to 20%. Uh, we have a manifold where we actually do mini spikes and at the push of a button we're able to spike each one of the tanks. Uh, part of the reason we went to the 20% is obviously if we plumb in 67% we have a leak, we have a very big issue on our hands. So now we have an inherently safer process and it's helped out with our waste minimization. Uh, and I believe, according to my notes, and I discussed this with Frank the other day, so I mentioned um, that we haven't been doing the large acid changeouts. We actually used to do those every six to eight weeks when we would change these out. We haven't done that since September of 2021. So we're already seeing some significant changes from that. All right, 
And then um, this is kind of hard to decipher, so I'm just going to kind of explain it. But this is just some, um, some information I got from our business analytics guy and shows some of the benefits of our change that we've already experienced. So here you can see where our consumables for the room have gone down. In 2021, we spent 39% on consumables like the nitric acid, ammonium bifluoride, um, some of the caustic soda we use in the treatment process on the other side of the room for our discharge permit. Uh, and then also probably the biggest one in the part that ecology loves the best is that we've had a 50,000 pound reduction in hazardous waste, just like that. We're not having to get rid of those acid tanks anymore. So that significantly reduced the amount of hazardous waste we're getting rid of, which has us trending for 2022 to have a 50% reduction in overall cost of consumables for the room, uh, especially waste costs, but then also uh, a 50% reduction of hazardous waste generated for our bothell facility overall. So we've really seen a lot of improvement in a very short amount of time. And then just to kind of segue into what Michael's gonna discuss, this is the stepwise improvement strategy that we're kind of working towards in the future. Uh, and this is what Michael's gonna discuss here in just a second. So that's my portion of it. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Michael Johnson. Uh, I am the, the hired help for Josh, Josh and his team. Um, I'm a chemical engineer and chemist by training. And I've, been doing, uh, I did my first Six Sigma work for IBM, the Motorola program in 1986. So I've been doing this for a while in terms of practicing this stuff and I'm still very much a student. So as, as kind of learning together. There's a few things I'd like to, to, to offer you as sort of takeaways from, from this process. The first is to eliminate or reduce bath, eliminating variability in a wet process or any, any industrial process. For example, when you're talking about your um, rinsing process in your PET. All of the things we're about to discuss relevant to his wastewater process is perfectly relevant to how you're using water in the PET recycling. So this is something you can take back and say, have you thought about counterflow rinsing perhaps, or conductivity control as a means of controlling your rinse process? So think about how anytime you see a wet process or an industrial process, from washing your dishes to washing your car to passivating large um, plumbing, what are essentially plumbing parts, right? We could cover that, but, but Romac makes large plumbing parts. So that is a, a, something you'll be able to take away with you. And these are kind of the stepwise things from, um, from the Romac process. Let me see which one is which here. I just, turned, oh, I just opened the garage door. Right? There we go. Ah, okay. So this is what we're talking about. When you talk about this big sawtooth pattern, that is normal in almost every industry in the world. Okay, that's almost the starting point for every place you'll walk in. As an engineer, you're walking in and you want to help somebody establish process control. You see they're, they're using their acid bath, they're dumping their acid bath every six weeks. That's a business opportunity every time you encounter that. And what we want to do and we want to encourage you to do is reduce the size of the dumps until you can eventually get to a steady state process. So in, in Josh's case, they've been dumping these large, very nasty tanks every six weeks. And um, the alternative to that is taking a small quantity of the acid out once, it, once every few days. So at, this case, at the current rate, they're taking only six gallons out per, per week for each one of these tanks and replacing that with fresh acid. Now the normal person will say, hey, wait, I'm throwing away perfectly good acid. Yes, you are, but you're establishing equilibrium in the process, ultimately establishing a steady state process which will eliminate variability and, and improve your process. And the reason it improves your process is because when you have a sawtooth process like this, when the bath is brand new, you only need two minutes. 
When the bath is old, you need seven minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes and you don't know the difference. So you always have to design your process for the worst case. So where normally they could get away with a five minute process, now they may have, originally they may have to do a 15 minute process and they always have to do a 15 minute process because they don't know the composition of the bath. All, and you, we don't need fancy math to do that. You can do all of this with a spreadsheet. So you can, you can get into, you know, CSTR models and very fancy mathematics around all of this, but all of this can always be modeled in a spreadsheet. A little bit in, a little bit out. How much came out? The other thing to think about, and a concept I encourage you to think about when you're doing industrial processes, wet processes, is there are two kinds of processes in the universe. There's a subtractive process and an additive process. In a subtractive process, you're taking something from a part. Where you're taking, in passivation, you're taking iron from the surface so it doesn't oxidize when you place these parts in the ground, right? Uh, or if you're washing a car, you're, you're washing the, the dirt off of the car. That's a subtractive process. When you're painting a car, you're putting something on the part. And there's two fundamental differences, and your, your technical goals are different for an additive versus a subtractive process. In an additive process, your goal is zero waste. It is achievable. It is almost always achievable to have zero waste in an additive process. You think about it, right? If you had no overspray, you'd have no waste, right? In a subtractive process, the goal is a little different. You want to take off only the thing you're taking off and no more. So if you have a rinse process, yes, you've successfully rinsed off the, the, the hydrofluoric acid, but now you have rinse water. And we have a strategy for dealing with some of these things. So philosophically, elimination of variability, additive versus subtractive process. And those are two, two takeaways that I encourage you to think about, things you can use in your, in your career, things you can take back to your manufacturing facility, or help, you know, all the way down to washing your dishes, okay? Okay, so, as Josh indicated, we started, started with these two basically big <clears throat> pots of water. And the pots of water, when you take a dish out of a dish, dish bucket, the dish is wet, correct? Now, the, the difference between the dry dish and the wet dish is what we call drag out. The mass of material taken from one bath to the next is what we call drag out. And that's a mathematically a very important function for industrial processes. Semiconductors, PET, washing cars, all of those things have drag out. The difference between um, these baths, in, in this case, we've separated the two baths into a, what we call a counterflow system. In a counterflow system, we are moving our parts from dirtiest to cleaner to cleaner to cleaner, finally to the wash table, right? But the good news here is we use the same water in every case. So we put a certain amount of water here, we reuse that water here, here, and here, okay? So in this case, we've created a counterflow system using the exact same amount of water, that, um, the exact same water, in fact, that, um, that is needed in every process tank. And the advantage of that, obviously, is you're using far less water. That you can mathematically model this process. We're not going to do that today. But the relationship between the number of rinse tanks and the counterflow system is the relationship between the amount of drag out and divided by the amount of rinse water. And that's referred to as the rinse ratio. Again, that's not a little out of scope. As long as you have a little extra time, thank you. Um, we can, uh, so the challenge there is making sure that you get the water used efficiently and then um, arranging the counterflow system. We've reduced our cycle time, by the way, from eight minutes or 10 minutes to down to, to 21 minutes in this case, or excuse me, the 21 total cycle. 
What we've done on the rinse table is we used, uh, I'm probably familiar with ion exchanger water softeners. Uh, the water softener system, we're simply taking water from the rinse table, running it through cation and anion exchange systems, and using that water as process water. This can be regenerated with hydrochloric acid and sodium hydroxide to create sodium chloride, salt water. So it's a very straightforward process once you figure out you have the tools to your, to your disposal. In this case, again, the subtractor process, you only want to take out the dirt. You don't want to take out all the good stuff. When you throw away that, that six gallons a week of, of hydrofluoric acid, we want that acid back. We take out the dirt by doing what we call acid, acid distillation. Nitric acid is volatile. So we take that out, we put the nitric acid back in the process. We have to add back uh, the hydrofluoric. So the hydrofluoric acid, we haven't figured out how to recover that yet. Next. Um, we need the atomic tweezer for that. But um, the hydrofluoric acid, it, or excuse me, the nitric acid is recovered, and that goes back into the process baths. Again, with the subtractive process, the goal is to remove, or to, is to remove only the thing you want to take off, and in that case, is the metal oxides. Okay, now, somewhere over the rainbow, when we get this all said and done, we want to completely automate the entire process. So here we've incorporated passivation, five minutes per, instead of 15 minutes in one tank, we're gonna put five minutes in three tanks. The advantage of that is now you can automate the system so that each transfer is five minutes apart. Now, rinse systems, we don't care how long our rinse systems are. Rinse is not time dependent. But what we do care about is the amount of water used in the system. Now, again, we've got a certain amount of drag out coming in each, each part, divided by the number of relationships there, or excuse me, the number of counterflow systems there. And again, that number is geometric. So if you take half of the pollutant off in one and half of the pollutant off in, in the next, you've reduced the pollutant by 75%, right? Then an eighth, then a sixteenth, and it goes on forever. So just by adding process tanks and adding no more water, you can have as clean a part as you want. And you can always define your part cleanliness in advance, prior to getting to your, uh, getting to your uh, flow designs. So if you decided, I want a part with 10 parts per million total dissolved solids. You can define that, and all you need to do is then define the amount of drag out you have, and then figure out how many rinse tanks you need to achieve that. In almost every case, and I've been doing this for a long time, almost every case, four rinses is about as far as you need to go. To, beyond that, it's, beyond that, your water is so clean, you can almost, it's almost as clean as the incoming water. So that's been my experience. Five has been used a few times in my career. So four counterflow rinses, so that with the passivation system, now instead of having a single source and adding, adding, uh, excuse me, adding chemicals to every bath, we're going to use the same strategy, and the mathematics are a little more, a little more complicated. But using acid distillation and then counterflowing the acid back out, taking a little bit of tiny, little tiny bit of acid out all the time, and putting that acid back in the last system where it's the cleanest, maintains the baths in a system that you're also going to see the best technical results. So the cool thing about this is now we've gone from a process where we're doing 21 minutes of load and, and then the operator's running around and hurting himself and bending over and doing all the things that we don't want them to do, the dirty, dumb, and dangerous, the three Ds. Um, now they can simply push a button and every five minutes the bathroom, they get a new clean rack. So that's the, that's the end of the goal. And oh, by the way, five minutes and 30 seconds is a vast increase in capacity with a reducing labor. So that's what we're, well, we'll be up to that in the next nine months or two years or however long it takes, but, but that's, that's the goal that we're trying to accomplish. 
So the net result now is 50% reduction in waste and 50,000 in savings. The limit, eventually we'll have eliminated hazardous waste completely, we'll have recovered all of the assets, we'll have a 200% increase in capacity, and the dollar figure is, is astounding. And again, this under, grossly understates the real value of that when you start thinking about the labor costs and improved quality and, and, and uh, quality of life for the operators. So it's a very cool outcome. That's what we have. Thanks. Thank you very much. We uh, have a, a one minute to, for questions. Uh, they all stay, so we have more questions and uh, more questions later, later too. So any questions for now? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so how was the process to change from hazardous waste to wastewater? Right. It's still, it's still the same acid going out into the wastewater. Right. Is there due to a regulation that the amount of acid going to the wastewater? Yes. Okay. Under, under it's a rule in, in Washington State, actually in the United States, there's a rule called permit by rule. So it's anything that, where the, the wastewater is hard plumbed to a permitted industrial wastewater treatment facility is not designated as hazardous waste. So that's, that's a regulatory nuance that we're taking advantage of now. We'll, we're still, we'll be playing, uh, we'll be recovering that material once we have acid distillation in place. A temporary, temporary strategy. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the lean forms of waste and waste walks, which stands for water, air emissions, solid waste, toxins, and energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org.